Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another very special episode of Ignite Radio Live over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio. Nearly 2,000 years ago, St. Paul shared a frustration that echoes throughout the ages. In his letter to the Romans, he proclaims, I do what I don't want to do. Those words are an honest expression from the heart of an honest Christian. If they weren't, we'd all be saints. We'd be perfect. We've heard the truth. We know the truth. We've made some progress in the truth. But it's worth asking, are we all about it? Is it our driving mission and purpose? Or have we come to a plateau? Have we become contented? In our own estimation, have we become good enough? Well, as St. Augustine famously noted, our souls will not rest until they rest in God, until we're completely surrendered to Him. If our God is a God of rest, it begs the question, why do we settle for unrest? If we're not about God claiming ever greater territory, the reality is territory is being taken. Recently, at a monthly battle-ready evening for men, we took up these questions. John Mark Grodi drew upon the great wisdom of Joseph Pieper's work on the cardinal virtues. He offered great insight into how we might more fully make progress in what we profess, how we might become who we're made to be, the best version of ourselves. Because John Mark's presentation runs short of a full hour, tonight we're going to intermix it with select pieces from Handel's oratorio, Esther. Why this masterpiece, Esther? Because it's the true story of an unlikely Jewish queen who does not cower to fear. She exhibits extraordinary virtue that echoes throughout the ages. Virtue made available to us today for such a time as this. Battle Ready is a monthly gathering of men associated with the movement Pentecost 365. We're a movement of men seeking to be ignited in everyday faith with our wives. Grace is being outpoured. Receive it. Find out more now at Pentecost365.us. And now, on with the presentation. One of the things that uh, started a train of thought a couple years ago was just coming back to this great group, really enjoying it and really benefiting from it, but realizing we're coming back over and over to the same things. Like we, we're learning, we have a lot of head knowledge, and but boy, like it's, it's like nothing changes day to day, week to week. It's like I'm still fighting the same old battles. I still, you know, have you, have you got around to praying with your wife yet? No, well, me neither. Dang it. So we keep talking about that. It's been four years now. I mean, gosh. And so, you know, I relate a lot to, you know, St. Paul in Romans saying, you know, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I, what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. So then it is no longer I that do it, but sin which dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it, for I do not do the good that I want but the evil that I do not want. And so, you know, lots of head knowledge, a lot of good intentions, a lot of desire to change, but coming back up against the fact that I, I just, but still, me as a person, I'm attached to things and, I'm, and my will is weak. Um, I guess I should open my outline at that point. You know, that might be good to know where I'm going here. Um, that set me off on, you, you know, Deacon, you were talking about the virtues here, and that's, that's what I really want to kind of run through a little bit, is that for me, um, you know, understanding on the surface level what virtues are, what they, what it means, what a virtue is, it seemed like that was the right di- direction to, to, maybe that's something I need to understand better. What is virtue? Because, again, the moral life is not just 
us doing a good thing today, but it's like over the course of our life being transformed by God's grace into the sort of people who don't just do this good thing, but delight in doing these good things, that it becomes easier, it becomes, it becomes the desire of our heart to do these good things. And that seemed to be something that was missing. Like, I need to understand that better. But, you know, personally, I found it very frustrating as I, as I tried to, to look into virtues that, I mean, I read lots of books and articles, and it just seems like the virtues are often presented to us as this disordered array of, of different concepts. I mean, you think of, of the virtues, there's all kinds of things that get kind of shunted under that category. You know, hospitality, and, and honesty, and sincerity, and um, you know, purity, and chastity. You know, there's there's a, a long list of things, and when you're looking for, practically, I want to get moving on this, you know, disordered, unhierarchical, long lists aren't really helpful. In fact, they're just kind of overwhelming. Um, and that's what I, I encountered as I, I dug into it. Finally, a, a turning point for me was Joseph Pieper, his book, the, the Four Cardinal Virtues, which I highly recommend you look into. Um, and he, for, he, for me, he really opened up um, the conception of the virtues and vices that come out, comes out of the Middle Ages, from Aquinas and the Scholastics. And I found that they, you know, unlike kind of the scattered, vague lists that we have, they had a real science of virtue and vice, and that's what I felt like I was, I was missing. Um, I discovered to my surprise in Pieper, and I'm just going to read these, these three points, that um, in the cardinal virtues in particular, they, they're an ordering principle to the science of virtue and vice. The cardinal virtues provide an easy and intuitive map and language for understanding human action and moral growth. So they're kind of a map of our faculties and how we work and how we interface with the moral life. The cardinal virtues also have a specific and profound order and hierarchy in themselves, and that they also provide order to so many other sub-virtues. And so... The cardinal virtues, which are prudence and justice, tem uh, fortitude and temperance, they not only have an or a specific profound order within themselves that, that tells us about ourselves, but they actually give order and, and purpose and structure to the rest of the virtues that we hear about. They understand how they work and how they fit together. And thirdly, like so many treasures that come to us from antiquity through the stewardship of the Church of the Middle Ages, which are written off as stuffy, ethereal, impractical, idealistic, etc., on the contrary, the cardinal virtues are simple, intuitive, eminently actionable, and profoundly powerful as a tool for proactively cooperating with God's grace working on and through us. So, like again, many things that come out of the Middle Ages or from the church, um, we assume that they're, again, stuffy and, and, and merely abstract. When we really dig into it, we realize that the, the ancients were so, so eminently practical. They, like us, were, wanted to be battle-ready. And they wanted to get to the point. They wanted to figure out, how do we work and how do I grow in the moral life? So, um, Pieper and the Cardinal Virtues. One of the first big things that I discovered that, that set me on the right track and kind of overturned my whole conception of, of the virtues was that, for Pieper, drawing from Aquinas, that the first of the Cardinal Virtues, the mother and mold of the Cardinal Virtues, is prudence. And in fact, you can't do good, you can't be morally virtuous if you're not first prudent. And that was a weird thing to discover here, because the, the modern mind, when we think of many of the, the virtues, we tend to think of them only in the negative. So we think of purity. Purity just means don't do impure things to the modern mind. Chastity just means don't be unchaste. To the modern mind, prudence just means don't do stupid things. It's merely the negative prescription. But also, the way that we think of some of the cardinal virtues almost puts them at odds with one another. So the courageous man seems to be the person who's no longer being prudent. You know, the prudent man is, he's playing cautious. The courageous man has left that behind and is now courageous. 
you know, or we might look at the, the temperate person and ask, well, is that person really temperate and, re and reserved and disciplined, or are they just spineless, you know? And that's, um, and so this idea that prudence comes first uh, in the moral virtues is weird, because again, we think of prudence as kind of the, the sissy virtue. It's just like not doing stupid things, you know? But it's, it's a profoundly important point that, that the moral life begins with prudence, you know, and it's reflective of Aquinas and the scholastics, their conception of the human person. We are a rational animal. We are, we are in the image of God, we are first, we're, we have reason and will. And so the first step in the moral life is, is the activation of that faculty. So the virtue of prudence, um, um, well, I mean, the, my way of putting it is that the virtue of prudence as something we practice is the virtue of going through a life intentional and awake. You know, and it's a virtue, so it's not just we do it once, but that we, we have to practice this, this um, virtue of going through life awake to reality and try to make choices accordingly. There's two ways to fail in being prudent, two general ways. One is to recognize the good and to refuse to do it. But I think the other way that's, I think, more general and probably more indicative of the world today in some ways is to simply go through going through life for all intents and purposes asleep, ignoring reality, not making a decision, reacting rather than acting. And so to cultivate that virtue, of course, you know, we, we, there's, there's many ways we, we would to be battle ready. We, we ask, how do I become the kind of person that is intentionally making choices? In Proverbs it says that the, the prudent man looks ahead. He makes a plan. He looks at, he surveys reality and he makes choices accordingly. So the, the virtue of prudence is the first step in the moral life. It attends to reality. And one of the, the aspects of reality it most uh, appropriately attends to is justice. And that's, of course, the second cardinal virtue. And justice is, you know, we, as persons, we live in an, an inter, uh, um, interdependent web of relationships with other persons. You know, we are, we've create, been created by God. We're in relationship with our, our spouses and our family members and our extended family, and our communities, and our employers, and the people around us. And as, a, as persons in this web of interconnection, we have, we have duties and obligations to other people as persons. And that's what uh, justice is, that map of those interconnections. And acting in accordance uh, to those interconnections is the virtue of justice. So the first thing that, that prudence attends to is, what are my duties and obligations? Um, and justice means to face up to those duties, to organize and order them, and then again proceeding from just from prudence to make and carry out a plan for them. And it's a significant virtue because again, we, we might we start by recognizing our duties and doing them well. But again, the point of the virtues is that we're growing into different kinds of people, not just people who reluctantly do our duty, but people for whom our duty becomes our delight. We want to become people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And that's the promise in Scripture, that, that we, we, we grow it. We, we don't just, it's a spirit of sonship we put on. We put on the new man, and in Christ, uh, we recognize our duty and we do it. But we also become the sort of people uh, who delight in that. And that's, again, the, the point of the virtues is that as we grow in them, our will and our desires come more into line. Our heart matches you know, what our, where our mind is directing us to. But it starts with prudence. It starts with the intentional choice. To, to look at reality and to make a choice, and then to attend to my duties in justice. So then, you know, the other two cardinal virtues, temperance and fortitude, you know, one way to think of them, if we have prudence on top and then justice as the main thing that prudence attends to, you know, and, and in the realm of justice, that's 
That's where we look at the objective demands of the moral law, Ten Commandments, all that kind of stuff. It kind of fits in there. That's where we, we recognize that, we, we organize it, we figure out how it's going to fit in our life. But then temperance and fortitude, they, they're two virtues that respond to the two general types of situations that threaten to carry us off from the, demand, the simple faithful demands of justice. So fortitude is the, is the virtue that is active when we encounter fear, when we encounter you know, some, uh, some danger, some fear, some intimidation. Anytime um, I'm afraid to do what is right because it's hard, but I do what is right even though it's hard because it's right, that's, that's this virtue of courage and fortitude. Um, and then on the other, other side, whenever it's my own desires, you know, desires for good things that, that want to pull me away from simply doing what I ought to do, um, that's what temperance is. Temperance is the ordering principle for my passions. So I have passions for good things. I, I desire food, I desire drink, I desire sex, I desire, uh, I desire justice and peace and quiet in my home right now. Uh, but temperance is that ordering principle wherein I practice bringing those, those desires in order with justice because um, oftentimes my desires are, are disordered. Temperance and fortitude are really helpful in, in examination of conscience because I, I look at those situations in my life where I feel myself no longer acting out of what I've prudently chosen in accord with justice, but when it's fear that's driving me. That's always a, a helpful situation. Whenever I notice that about myself, it's good to, to analyze that and say, what I'm no longer acting because it's right and it's good and I've chosen it. I'm acting out of fear. Or maybe I'm not acting because I'm fearful of something. And suddenly I've discovered perhaps you know, the next most right step that I'm supposed to take because it's that thing that I've been avoiding. On the other hand, whenever I, I notice myself, even if I'm doing good things, apparently on the outside, good and laudable things, things that people are praising me for. But inside, I notice about myself, I'm doing this not because I've prudently chosen this in accord with justice, but I'm doing this because I'm driven by some desire. Maybe because I just love doing this thing. I love the adulation I get. Um, maybe I love defending the truth and ch- ch- giving those people what for and showing them where they get off. And that's necessary and that's good. But if, if I notice in myself, oh, I'm, I'm being driven by my, moved around by my desires and not my reasoned, prudent choices in accord with justice, then I suddenly have fruit for my examination of conscience. I need to temper that. Because I need to, to remain in reason. So, um, my goal here was to get to the point as quickly as possible because I, I want to discuss it. But um, I think with this theme of being battle ready, I've found that uh, you know, re examining the cardinal virtues and understanding them better gave me a framework for understanding what it means to be battle ready. Because I, I can do a good thing today, but I want to understand how my faculties work together my will and my <coughs> intellect, my passions. How in my choices do I become more the sort of person, by God's grace, always by God's grace, become the sort of person who can do those things better and more? How can I become battle-ready? And it gives us, I feel like the cardinal virtues give us a great language and a, and a set of concepts to understand our human nature better, but also then to analyze ourselves as individuals and ask, you know, where do I really fall short? When I have these sticky areas in my life, what's actually going on there? And how do I break that into its parts and work on it? And so, you know, one of the things that we do to grow in, in the virtues is, we, is, we, is we, we pick a plan of life. Again, the prudent man looks ahead. So we look at our lives. We look at reality. We face it straight on, and that's, that's prudence. And we, we take on a plan of life, a rule of life that's going to help us. And so, you know, Pentecost 365, the seven commitments, is a real 
good example of that. And if we look at those, we can we can recognize how, you know, that's a, choosing that choosing that that plan of life is is an act of prudence, and that's good. But in in those components, we also see how, by embracing those intentionally, we're also um, growing the other cardinal virtues. And so, just a few examples from that list that speak to me personally. You know, one is I think I mentioned I joked about it earlier because it's it was a real example. Like it. There are many areas in my life where I have no problem being courageous. I imagine myself a very courageous person. When it comes to praying with my wife, I am a complete wuss, you know? And so I can, I can imagine myself very courageous, but if I, if I attend to the demands of justice, I recognize that praying with my spouse is way up there. Again, justice is a, is a hierarchical uh, part of it is, is organizing the demands that are placed on you. Recognize that God, serving God, worshiping God is first, but my spouse that he's given me comes very close after that. And if, I, if I'm not praying with her, you know, that's, a, that's high up there on my priority list. And so if I'm, if I'm failing uh, out of a lack of courage, and that, then that's something I have to attend to. And so that's an example of uh, one of the commitments of, of Pentecost 365 that speaks well to me. Um, it, uh, the exam, I think, is another good example, too, of... Um, how do we grow in prudence? How do I grow in being the kind of person who, who stays awake, awake and alert with my, my loins girded from day to day? Well, part of it is always turning at the end of the day and facing in all of its ugliness what actually happened this day. Not letting a, a, you know, a night go by where I forget all the little ways that I, that I fell short. Staring at that, making a plan, again in prudence, for how it's going to be different the next day. And the more that we do that, the more that we grow in that, not just the prudence to be awake to that and to choose, but then also um, as we experience the different situations to grow in courage and temperance. Prudent man makes, prudent man looks ahead, makes a plan. You know, to not plan or to fail to plan is to plan to fail. You know, all that. Um, you know, another thing that if we, if you dig into prudence and what how the scholastics sort of pieced it apart and looked at its, its parts, you know, the different aspects of it. You know, one of the things that they identified is there are some additional, more nuanced ways to fail in prudence. And one is to to recognize the good, but to kind of like to just dilly dally around. You know, to kind of to, to not leap into it. And I think one of the things that we can encounter, I know, is a problem with me with something like a plan of life is I want to have the perfect plan. You know, I want to have the end all be, I want to understand it all first before, you know, I'm all in for something. And a part of prudence is also recognizing that I can't be, I can't be, I can't be instantly perfect. I can't see all. I, ha I can see the steps in front of me. So I need to make the plan with the best information I have now. 
then go with it. And then again, the point of an examine and the point of confession, the point of perhaps the point of God making a day-night cycle, you know, and a month and a week and a year cycle is that we constantly look back and say, okay, how did that plan run? I ran it, you know, here's where it fell flat. Here's where it worked. Here's where it didn't work. Here's where I'm going to tweak it for the next cycle. And then we run it again, you know. And so I, I know that for me, one of the, the pitfalls is always I want to have a perfect plan, you know, you know, from a perfect parenting plan, perfect marriage plan. I want to figure it all out first. But I, I got to get out there and keep living it, you know. So you have to make the best plan you can today, run it, and then tweak it. Shall lay by her iron rod. Esther is queen, and Esther serves the living God. You know, I think we've never lived in a time where there were more barriers to being prudent, because it is it is so completely easy to go through life asleep. You know, we can distract ourselves with drugs or alcohol or our devices. We can always not be present to a you know, to the reality of our situation. You know, and I think, again, one of the first failures of prudence is simply not to, to just go through life and not ever make a choice, not ever, you know, uh, become intentional, you know, and really face up to the demands of reality. So that it's, very, it's more easy in this day than ever before, I think, to, to just go through life without really activating our prudence. So in, in one sense, you can talk about the, the cardinal virtues on, as human virtues, because uh, on the human level, like even the Greeks kind of recognize that, oh, you have these faculties and these, these cardinal virtues seem to make sense as what it looks like when your faculties are flourishing and working together well. But then as Christians, when we look at that, and we look at that in the context of the theological virtues, we look at it in the context of knowing that any good we do comes from God, and without God we can do no good. If we take that in mind, then we recognize that prudence has a whole lot more to it than merely our reason. When, when, when prudence attends... When we, when we we sit up and we attend to reality, we're attending to the reality of, of who I am and where I am and what's going on around me and, you know, the demands of justice and all that. But part of what the Christian man is attending to is, and what's God speaking into my life right now? 
and my wife and I talked about this a lot, that we regularly ask ourselves now when we're in a conundrum, like what's, what's, the, what's the prudent thing to do here? And what, we're, what that means to us is that we often find ourselves in situations where we're trying to reason our way out of a box. I'm trying to please this person, and i got to do that, and i got to do this, and I have to mesh them all together, and I have to make a plan that makes it all work, worth, you know, work together. But it, until I really step back and ask, God, what, what is the prudent thing here? What, what ought I to do? And oftentimes it becomes very clear when I attend to God's presence. And so I feel like the, it's almost the perfection of the cardinal virtue of prudence to introduce an, you know, awareness of the presence of God, his providence, and that he speaks to us through our circumstances, through, through reason, through reality, but it's also always kind of having a liminal space, you know, a moment of pause of, and what's God speaking into this moment? Because sometimes if I'm relying too much on my own reason, I may be not hearing that big obvious neon sign that God's speaking to me as Catholics. Moral life is not just not merely the objective, the objective demands of justice. Actually, there's a great quote I didn't read, I was gonna read. But it's also the, the our subjective choosing of that. You know, morale, so a mortal sin has to be not just objectively grave, but I have to actively choose it and I have to understand that it's more grave. So it's in interaction between both the objective matter as well as what's actually going on inside. And the cardinal virtues give us the framework for, for analyzing that in ourselves. We can't really ever analyze it in someone else because we don't live in their head or their heart. But in myself, I can recognize, well, yeah, I, can, the, the, I have these external objective things, but what's really going on in my heart? Just as what can be a virtue in one person can be a vice in someone else, vice versa, you know? You know
especially prudence with, with an ear, always open the Holy Spirit is so important because you often find yourself in that situation where you can't see five steps ahead, but you can see one or two steps ahead. And, and part of that trust is that you know, by, by being faithful to this one step, I'll be opened to more. You know, the, the saints didn't start set out, they may have set out to be holy, but they didn't set out to be who they became. You know, they didn't set out to do great things. They were faithful in the little things. And each time they are faithful in a little thing, God opens them up a little bit more and shows them more of the path ahead. You know, and so I think with that in mind, it you know, helps us to recognize that sometimes we, we look at our lives like, I want to be doing big, important things, not these less important, small things, you know, but there's not really any difference in God's perspective. It's simply what's God's will and what's not. Um, I was thinking about this a while ago. What does it really mean to have an omnipotent, omniscient, omnibenevolent God? It means that I... In some sense, I can't ever actually step, I can't mess up his will. His will may be done in spite of me and without my cooperation, you know, but I'm either cooperating with his will, I'm being a part in his story, or it's happening in spite of me. And I can look at my life often as if I have like a million options in front of me. But in reality, there's only, there's only two. Either I'm consciously trying to do God's will as best as I know it, or for whatever reason I'm not, whether through fear or desire or just refusal or pride or obstinance, there's a million, but it all amounts to I'm just not with my whole heart trying to do God's will. But if I am, I think you could make the case that if, you're tr- if you really are trying to with your whole heart, then you know that you are. Because God's already seen that next step from, from all eternity. He's already seen where you are and he's giving you the grace to take that next step. And the next step may be a course correction. It may be, oh, okay, now <laughs> suddenly I realize, you know, I've been dumb up to this point and I have to do something different. But, you know, at any given moment, that question is simply, am I with, the whole, with my whole heart trying prudently to take that next step? Uh, and then, again, trusting that what it means to serve an all-knowing and all-powerful and all-good God is that he's already there in that next step waiting for me. 
cardinal, which means hinge, is on, on our human level, is they're the hinges that, of which the moral life hangs onto. So insofar as we have play any role in our sanctification, the cardinal virtues are involved. Now, 2% of the work is, is ours maybe to cooperate with God. 98% is all God's grace. And that's the theological virtues. To the degree that we have charity, that's, that's a grace of God. That's a gift that he gives us. He gives us charity. Now, we have to accept that. We have to activate that. We have to act on that grace. And that's, again, I think where the cardinal virtues come in. That's, that's what it looks like. The cardinal virtues are this map of what it looks like when the human person is striving and acting. You know? And what we're acting upon is God's grace. But insofar as we're looking at the, the human aspect of that, the, the first step that I take as a, as a rational being is, is, is looking around, attending to what the truth is, and making a choice. And so, again, what I attend to is you know, God is God. And I am not. I'm a creature. I have these people around me. And I attend to the truth that, you know, um, again, as it says in Scripture, you know, love, loving the Lord with my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and my neighbor as myself. That is the great commandment. And that's, you know, the first demand of justice is, is, is this charity. That charity is something that I receive from God. So the main distinction is between when we look at the cardinal virtues, we're looking at the human element of my action. You know, the, how my intellect and my will and my passions are working together for me to accept this grace and to act upon it. Um, but charity, properly speaking, is this gift of God, this grace. So we, we pray for it, we, we receive it, we actualize it, we, we carry it out.
The interface between the theological and the, the cardinal virtues is a really interesting one for me because again I think on the one hand we can recognize that so like the Greeks recognized the cardinal virtues so they looked at their human nature and they recognized that what it would look like for those those virtues to be full flowering would be the cardinal virtues but our nature of course comes from God you know there's there's different ways that God's grace reaches us we have the grace where he's in the moment he's giving us the grace to be empowered to listen to the spirit and to act you know, in a powerful way. But we also have the sort of the embedded grace of He designed us. We didn't come from someplace other than God. He designed our faculties. He He designed the virtues. He designed, you know, our whole being is oriented upward towards Him. And so again on we we live as Christians, we uh, we, we we live first and foremost, we rely on God and we recognize that His grace comes first. My ability to act at all comes from him. To cooperate with him comes from him. But then to the degree that he waits on and relies on and works through my cooperation, part of my role is as a human person, uh, you know, a mind, a body, a soul, the whole package, the whole integrated person, to the degree that I am battle ready, to the degree that I make myself um, available to the theological virtues, that's what that's the cardinal virtues are. That's me as a human doing everything I can as a human person. Again, cooperating with God's design for me. You know, I need to be as prudent as possible. I'm, I need to be awake and alert and intentional. And I need to practice that every day. My life needs to be one of, you know, uh, the, my, need, my life needs to be the examined life, the chosen life. You know, when I look at the demands of justice, I don't want to go through my life reluctantly doing the things I need to do. I want to turn and face those. I want to lean into those. I want to grow in not just a person who reluctantly does his duty, but I want to hunger and thirst for justice in my life. And to the degree I do that, and I encounter fear, and I choose to lean into it and to do my duty anyway, I grow encouraged. And when I recognize that my desires, for whatever they are, are pulling me away, and I temper those desires, okay, that's the full flowering of myself as a human. But then we see all the ways that that, that, that those flower into the, the theological virtues. Justice flowers into not, ju not just doing, giving people their due, but, but a full mercy and a love that God has. You know, that my, my temperance, again, I think temperance and the sub-virtues of temperance, so purity and chastity and sobriety and all those kind of things, are really interesting because we do tend to just look at the negative side. You know, just don't do the impure thing, or just don't get drunk, or just don't do whatever. But the whole point of tempering those desires is that my heart needs to be available to God. 
If my heart is attached to things, it can't be attached to God. If it's attached inordinately to my wife or to my job or to other good things in my life, there's no room for God. So it's not just tempering them for the hell of it. It's tempering them because I'm making a space for those theological virtues to take root, for the love of God to take root. One of the things that the fraternal virtues help us to do is to harmonize, to recognize and harmonize ourselves as not merely spirits trapped in bodies, but you know, human beings. You know, it's not an accident we're in bodies. God made us this way. We have to act as whole persons. And it's easy to kind of have a little bit of a latent dualism and to, to, to kind of sp over-spiritualize everything and to have our faith as a compartmentalized part of our life you know, where, you know, morality comes in once in a while when there's big moral questions, but generally it's just like in a small compartment of my life. Cardinal Virtues help, help us recognize that, no, at, anytime we do anything, we can ask, am I being prudent? And if I'm being pr imprudent in all these other areas of my life, and I turn over into my spiritual life, and then I find I, I, I'm not very good at being prudent or just or courageous or temperate, it's all one life. There's no compartments. You know, if I'm undisciplined in all these areas, and then I expect, and then I'm like, well, why do I have no discipline when it comes to this thing over here? It's all one thing. You know, if I'm constantly imprudent and intemperate with my finances, I'm always spending all kinds of stuff. I just, I just, I just spend. I'm totally, you know, at, uh, at the whim of my passions when it comes to this area. And then I turn it over to this other area, and I'm wondering why I just can't control myself. It's all one life. You only have your your faculties. You only have your will, your passions, your 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 um, your abilities, and so it, it helps us recognize that every aspect of our life needs to come under the lordship of Christ, and every aspect of our life is an opportunity to grow in virtue. You know, every every part of our life needs imprudence needs to be worked into our plan of how we're serving God and how we're completing the mission He's given to us. It needs to be worked into the hierarchy of the demands of justice that, that God has in my life. It needs to be ordered into how I'm going to work that out. And then every, every thing I do in my life, I can ask myself, am I doing this because I've, I've reasonably chosen this as part of that plan? Or am I doing this just because I'm afraid of something? Well, I'm still giving into fear, even if it seems like an insignificant thing. I'm still failing. I'm still growing in that vice rather than that virtue. Or if in another area, if I'm if I'm letting myself being driven by desire, even if it's a desire for apparently good things on the outside. But those aren't the good things that I discerned were what I was supposed to do. Then I'm failing in temperance. I'm growing in the vices of, of not having ordered those passions. So again, our life is of a whole piece. There's no parts of it that are compartmentalized. And the cardinal virtues help us to recognize that so that, um, again, sainthood starts when I treat every little thing like it's a big thing. Every little 
decision is the opportunity to be faithful to God. You've been listening to Ignite Radio Live and just heard a presentation by John Mark Grodi, delivered at a monthly battle-ready event for men united with their wives, woven together with select pieces from Handel's oratorio, Esther. If you want to be more fully ignited in everyday faith, go to Pentecost365.us. God bless you.
Oh, 